Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello Stem Cell at Lunch Digested listeners, I'm Stephanie Hines and I'm a PhD student here in the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. Here with me today I have Dr Vasanta Subramanian, reader at the University of Bath. And she's here to give a talk today about talpid 3 and stem cells and ciliopathies. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Subramanian. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Um, So just to start off with, could you explain in layman terms what talpid 3 is and what its role is in the cell? So talpid 3 is a protein, and I'm sure uh, most people know what proteins (laughs) are. They're the building blocks of life. Um, And it is a component or is part of a structure of the cell. Uh, which is like an antenna. Um, So the primary cilia that we talk about is Mm -hmm. an antenna-like structure, which is kind of sensing signals from the external milieu and then is giving it to the cell to tell the cell that should it become specialized Mm -hmm. or should it make contact or should it divide and, and so on. So that's basically the function of a primary cilia. And talpid is quite an essential component of this because without talpid, you don't get primary cilia. So, you know, the cell is, uh, in a sense, quite unhappy without it. um, How crucial would you say cilia are for development of cells? Yes, they are very important because particularly in the nervous system, you know, certain groups of neurons called motor neurons, Mm -hmm. uh, which are the neurons that come out from the spine and allow you to move, allow for your locomotion. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't form properly or they don't form at all if you don't have cilia. So cilia are pretty crucial. They're also very important for stem cells in the brain in the structure called the hippocampus. So cilia are important. Uh, There are also other kinds of cilia called motile cilia, which are, you know, which are also very important uh, in many functions in the body. So, you know, they are quite important. And talpid is important both for primary cilia formation as well as for motile cilia formation. So if there is a disruption in the cilia, would this then lead to diseases later on in life? Yes, there are a group of rare diseases called ciliopathies. Yes. And in these ciliopathies, either cilia are abnormal mm-hmm. or they don't form at all. And talpid, of course, when you have mutations, you um, get diseases which are called, um, you know, referred to as Joubert syndrome and okay. so on. And there are other diseases also in which uh, talpid 3 is mutated and there are no cilia. And these are rare diseases, yes. and, and actually not much is known about them, and they're kind of neglected diseases yeah. because they're not so common. Yeah. yeah. So would it be able to understand these cilia help possibly treat people with the diseases? Yes. So the yeah. idea is that if we make models for this, either cell models or animal models, we can understand the basis of how these diseases yes. progress and develop, and then we can think about... Uh, you know, developing therapies as well as testing the therapies when you have model systems. Okay. So um, our listeners may not know this, but your background was actually in biochemistry. So how did you move from this background into something what's a very developmental cell-based disease? Yeah, so um, when I was doing my PhD, I was doing a lot of protein purification and a bit of immunology because Mm -hmm. I was working on uh, plant-based allergens. Yeah. And although immunology is very interesting, I thought I want to work on something in which um, not much is known or there is a lot of challenges still to be studied. And so the choice was between developmental biology and neurobiology. 
And then I thought if I did development, I could also do neurodevelopment. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I could combine the two. So I went off for six months in the middle of my PhD to the mm -hmm. Hebraic lab in Holland, which was offering um, these research schools where you spend six months, you know, yeah. kind of getting to understand a new subject yes. in a developmental yeah. biology. And I was really fortunate to meet some great developmental biologists. And so I decided after my PhD, I'm going to move into this area. Yes. And then went to Richard Gardner's lab in Oxford to do mammalian development mm -hmm. and continued in this area. Yeah. So, um, you know, biochemical tools are always very useful to uh, apply in other yes. areas. So having a background in biochemistry kind of helped me uh, to relate structure to function. So yes. right now what I do is I look at the protein and then do all the work in terms of its function at the cellular and organism yeah. level. And I work with structured biologists who are then looking at the mutant proteins and the wild type proteins and we are linking structure to function. So, you know, yes. the biochemistry background is very helpful in understanding yes. when someone is telling me you know these water molecules these contacts are lost and things lost and things like that in this mutation then I think yes you know I can understand yes. this, this do basic. Do you think having a varied background is more beneficial to be as a researcher do you think that's be a more recommended route to go and try and learn more things before specializing? I think so. I think uh, if you have a broader base, I think it gives you a, the bigger picture. You know, you yes. see the tree and not just the leaves. Yes. <laughs> so in many problems, we keep doing a reductionist approach, you know, as yeah. biochemists or molecular biologists. Uh, we're going to the last molecule and looking at it. But then sometimes it's helpful to look at it from a completely different perspective. And so a broad base always helps in that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so kind of moving on but taking that in mind so what advice would you give to anyone who's in these early stages of their research career what do you think of one sterling bit of advice would be always be optimistic <laughs> <laughs> because there are times when you know you can get so thin your experiments don't work etc and then you say oh no i'm going to give up never give up be optimistic yes always yeah. It's not a failure, it's just learning something new. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing is a failure, you always learn. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you today, so much. And thank you for coming to do a talk here today thank as you. well. Thank you.